You are listening to the Not Your Average Autism Mom podcast, the number one podcast for moms just like you, raising an autistic child. How are moms like us who didn't plan for this unique parenting journey embracing life just as it is right now, instead of staying stuck in wishing, hoping, and dreaming it was different? That is the question, and this podcast, along with our Let's Talk Autism newsletter and our private sisterhood, will give you the answers. My name is Shannon Urquiola, and I have been traveling this journey for over two decades. I have been where you are. All right, stay with me, and let's get on to this week's episode. Well, hello there, my friends. How are you today? I am doing amazing, and I am loving this spring weather. We actually had some much-needed rain this week in the North Georgia mountains, so our grass is greener and our flowers are blooming so beautifully, and I know I've said it before how much I love this time of year. I hope that wherever you are in the world that spring has arrived for you or will be shortly I actually saw that a friend of mine in Colorado shared some snow pictures last weekend. And for me, I don't know about you, but I certainly would not be a fan of snow in May. But anyways, as always, I am super glad that you are here with me today. And if you haven't yet, be sure to hit that subscribe button on your podcast app so that you don't miss another episode of our podcast. And please, if you haven't left us a review yet, take a minute to do that because that is how we are able to reach and help more families who are all traveling this unique autism parenting journey, just like you and I. So on today's episode, I want you to know it actually came to be because inside our private membership, we have what we call Talk About It Tuesdays, where our members come together and we discuss a specific topic and we share stories and talk about how this specific topic is impacting our families individually. And this was one of our recent topics. So I decided because it was so valuable that I would share some of it with you, our podcast listeners. So today I'm talking about our kids and social awkwardness. And I know that most of our children diagnosed with autism share this commonality, right, in one way or another. So first, I want to begin by just reviewing what are social skills, right? Social skills are the rules and abilities that guide our interactions with other people in the world around us. We use social skills to some extent every single day of our lives. Many of our children need help learning these skills. They need help understanding how to act and engage in different types of social studies, social settings. You know, they often want so badly to interact with their peers, but they don't have the natural instinct to understand and know how to engage friends. And honestly, they may be overwhelmed with understanding the dynamics in different settings. So some of the descriptive words that I heard about our kids in social settings were things like aloof, detached, odd, socially awkward, quirky, and withdrawn. Think about your child or children. How would you describe them as it relates to their social skills? 
Do any of those descriptions fit? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. What I do want you to know and understand before I move forward is that there is a difference in our children with autism who have social deficits and social awkwardness and people or individuals who have social anxiety. With autism, social skills are usually impaired because of the communication. The autistic individual does not know the, let's just say, quote, right things to say in the right setting. They struggle to interpret social cues, facial expressions, and tone of voice. This is something that I work on with Jordan constantly because the way he says things sounds rude. Now to him, he's not being rude. He's just very factual. He just states the facts. Mom, you forgot my spoon. Well, that sounds rude, right? And so I'll say to him, Jordan, why don't you say, hey, mom, can you get me a spoon? Because it's not my job to give you a spoon. But when you say, you forgot my spoon, that sounds rude. They might not understand personal space. They may stand too close or talk too loud. They struggle to interpret social cues, right? These traits are different than the symptoms of a person with social anxiety. People with social anxiety generally have actual physical symptoms combined with intrusive thoughts. And they think thoughts like other people are judging them. They have unrealistic fears that they will be rejected. They might have nausea, sweating, their heart rates increased, shaking, even muscle tension. Now, some individuals with autism, unfortunately, are at a greater risk to develop social anxiety over time if they're bullied or teased by their peers over an extended period of time. It's not easy for our kids to make friends, which can lead them to avoiding, you know, social situations, spending a lot of time alone in their, you know, teenage years to just avoid the bullying. In children with more severe challenges who may even be nonverbal, they often show their deficits through behaviors like elopement, tantrums, or other avoidance behaviors. For other kids, who have good verbal language and can express their feelings, they might show their deficits through verbal protests, being easily overwhelmed by non-preferred activity demands, both at home and at school. They may even be resistant to attending school because of their inability to become comfortable and feel safe in those social situations. Think about how many unwritten rules there are to understanding social skills. So many, right? First, there's just a simple greeting. Whether that is initiating a greeting or reciprocating a greeting, how many of your children struggle to just say hi to their peers, let alone to initiate or maintain a conversation? Some other important skills are asking their peers to play with them taking turns during games, understanding personal space, and requesting a peer to share a toy or playground equipment with them. 
social skills will vary and what your child needs will be individual. Because there are so many social skills to learn, these can be practiced in a variety of settings. You should be working on them in the community, at home, at church. They should absolutely be working on them in their educational environment. A special education teacher, a speech pathologist, an OT therapist, an AB therapist, as well as their general education teachers should all be providing direct instruction as well as opportunities to practice these skills in their everyday environment. If you have a social skills group available either at school or in your community, I highly recommend that you consider adding this to your child's schedule if social skills development is a concern. There are so many benefits to the right social skills program. It should, above all, be a setting that is meant to foster self-awareness and build their self-esteem. Our children have challenges with social settings, and because of that, their self-esteem often suffers, and social skills groups should be designed to help them build their self-esteem. It should provide them opportunities to practice so that those skills are used beyond the group in real life settings. They likely will work in pairs or small groups to build cooperation and flexibility in those social settings, right? So our children know that they're not always going to get to play or get to do what they want to do. They have to be flexible. They have to be willing to play what their peers want to play. Another important thing is that they're breaking down abstract social concepts and teaching them concrete, understandable, and specific actions to take. They should be modeling interaction, taking turns, teaching imitation, both motor and verbal. What about teaching context clues? helping them learn to pay attention to what other people around them are doing. So for example, if everyone is holding their hand over their heart during the Pledge of Allegiance, or maybe everyone is standing during a ceremony, they need to learn to model that to do the same. Some strategies that I have seen work through the years are teaching a certain skill set in a one-on-one -on -one setting first, and then introducing that in a group setting. So what do I mean by that? Well, teaching our children how to play a game while at the same time expecting them to practice their learned social skills likely won't work. How about instead, if we teach them how to play the game in a one-on-one -on -one setting, and then after they understand the rules and how to play the game, then we introduce the game with their peers. Don't try teaching them both things at once. Teaching empathy is something that, you know, another thing that our children often have even bigger challenges with because they are expected to understand how someone else is feeling. In a social setting, we have to learn to think about how someone else is feeling, understand their perspective, and adjust our interactions accordingly. 
to teach our children this, we have to teach them through talking out loud. You guys hear me say this all the time, right? Commentating what is happening, giving them a commentary of the experience, helping them to recognize the facial expressions of others and their nonverbal language, their body language. You can always use social stories ahead of time to practice this. I remember when Jordan was young, I had flashcards with facial expressions and we practiced these almost every day so that I could help him to better understand his peers and how they were feeling. Now, I would say so he would know how I was feeling, but that's not true, honestly, because he knows my expressions better than anyone else. And even now, he knows how I'm feeling. More so, he knows when mom is not happy because that never leads to a good outcome. I also think it's so important that in a social um in a a social skills class or setting that they are celebrating what the student does well, no matter how small in every single social skills class. They are leaving celebrating something they did well and ready to go into the week to practice and build on that skill. So again, it is important that you, as their parent, know what they're working on so that you can work with them on that during the week. You have social opportunities every day with them. Use your neighbors, right? Use your friends, the people in your community. Practice saying hello, holding the door open, saying please and thank you. All of those moments matter and will help build their skill set to adapt in different settings. Lastly, I want to talk about recreation programs available in your community and how those programs can also help. You know, there are challenger leagues across the country in different uh, sports, in different communities, and I encourage you to check into them. See what is available in your area. But I also want to give you some suggestions and recommendations when you were deciding what will be best for your child. I know that you only want what's best for your child. I get that. Trust me. But what I want you to do is to always consider your child's interest, their abilities, and their strength. Just because you like baseball doesn't mean that your child has any interest in playing baseball. Just because you were never musical doesn't mean that your child couldn't be an amazing piano player. You have to do the research first. You have to find out what is available and also let those program leaders or instructor know in advance what your child's strengths and weaknesses are, what works for them and what doesn't, and then decide if it would be a good fit for your child. Are they able to provide the accommodations that your child may need? Are they familiar with, do they have experience working with children with challenges? Do they know anything at all about autism? Now, depending on your individual child, that will determine which of those questions are important. Maybe you're a parent who doesn't share your autism, your child's autism diagnosis openly. That is your decision. But it's important that you share with the program director 
what your child may exhibit if you decide to put them in that program. Now, once you've done your research and you've narrowed down what is available, talk to your child about what they are interested in. Let them know all of the options available. Maybe it's dance. Maybe it's baseball. Maybe it's piano lessons. Maybe it's art or guitar class. What are they willing to try? And try is the key word here. And it's important to know that our children often may have a tough time, you know, going or doing something new. They may be extremely anxious or nervous about it. Try to prepare them in advance for what to expect. Maybe it's a, you know, visual schedule or a picture schedule, or maybe you go and watch the other children do it a couple times to see what their interest is. I always want you to have realistic expectations. For them to grow in any program, it's important to have realistic and reachable goals. You want to set them up for success. I think it's important that you know ahead of time the coach to athlete or to teacher to student ratio. Only you know how your child will adapt best. Will there be assistance available to help redirect when necessary? Having just one instructor or coach for a larger group may not be the ideal setting for your child to be successful. If your child has additional medical needs, be sure that the program is aware of that ahead of time and that anything that they may need to have available is available. Lastly, manage your own thoughts and emotions. And this is so very important. Understand and be okay with the fact that your child may not be able to do what the other children can. They may very well become overwhelmed in the beginning or at certain times, and that may be a source of frustration for them. Be understanding of their feelings. Talk to the coaches or instructor if this comes up and see if you can develop something about how you can manage it better moving forward. If you can, depending on the activity, Make time to practice with them at home so they can build their skill level at their own pace. Always keep it fun. Provide lots of encouragement and celebrations along the way. Even when they haven't mastered the skill yet, celebrate their effort each and every time. Now, before I close, I want to put on my advocate hat for a minute here. And I apologize, this episode is a little longer than usual but there was a lot to talk about. For those of you whose child is in a school setting with an IEP or a service plan, if they're in a private school, I want to encourage you to meet with your child's educational team. It's important that you make sure that they are getting appropriate support for social skill development in the school setting. There are so many ways this can be done. At recess or PE, I believe that it's important that your child not be left alone to wander aimlessly, which I know many of them may actually prefer. But instead, what if this is the perfect time for them to be paired up with a few peers to encourage participation in games and support them in developing friendships 
and appropriate peer play. At lunch, they shouldn't be eating alone. Maybe you can set up a lunch buddy each week and they are paired with that person for standing in line and eating lunch with. Many programs and supports a child needs to develop friendships and learn how to interact more easily in social settings can and should be set up in their educational setting. Think about it. Many of our children, that's the only opportunity they have to interact with their peers, right? Maybe you live, you know, not in a neighborhood. So there's not children that they can interact with and have those social uh, settings with after school. Now, I know that as a parent, often you don't know what is and isn't available. And what I want to say to you is that you have more power over your child's education than you know. And that includes what services and accommodations they should be getting in their educational setting. If you don't know, I encourage you to seek an educational advocate because an educational advocate has more experience and knowledge and are usually able to request things that you would likely never even think to ask for. Lastly, and most important, no one's involvement is more important than yours. What are you willing to do to ensure that your child can build the skills they need to lead to their independence? I get it. It isn't always easy. You are tired after a long day of work or a long week of meltdown after meltdown. Are you willing to ask for those things that are really important for your child's growth and development, even when it might not make the school administration or teachers happy? Are you willing to invest in learning all that you can so you understand what your child should be getting? What about sharing some books with your child's class teachers so they can share them with other students to better understand your child? Think outside the box. Are you volunteering at school? Are you getting to know other parents in preparation for future play dates or maybe sleepovers or birthday parties? Remember, this is a journey and we know it isn't always easy. Teaching our children really basic social skills and reinforcing them for years to come is what it looks like. That's the reality. Their peers and likely family members and your circle of friends will likely have to be educated by you about autism all the way. You should be utilizing every opportunity to build your child's social skills. All right, my friends, that is all for today. I hope that this episode has been helpful and that you're leaving with something that you might not have thought about or you have some new ideas to take action on. Also, if you haven't signed up for our Let's Talk Autism monthly newsletter, be sure that you head over to the website, uh, notyouraverageautismom.com, and sign up so you don't miss our next edition. Because in every edition of our newsletter, we're talking about topics that directly impact your family. Until next week, I hope that you have an amazing week And remember, above all, you are doing amazing at this mom thing. Episode 88, 
social awkwardness. Hey, so if you are loving what you are learning on the podcast, you really should check out our private membership. Our Not Your Average Autism Mom community is where we dive deeper into all of the topics we discuss on the podcast and where you can get individual help and learn coaching tools that will make your life better every day when you learn to manage your mind. You will have access to all of our training and resources that you will need along your autism parenting journey. And you will develop relationships with other moms just like you, all raising a child with autism. It is my absolute favorite place to be. So head on over to the website at www.notyouraverageautismmom.com to get all the details. And please, if we're not open right now for new members, we only open a couple times a year. Be sure to join the wait list so that you'll be the first to know when we're going to open. I hope you do. I would love to work with you inside.